0: We praise God for all the many gifts and talents that have been on display from those who have led us in worship this morning. That was amazing. We're continuing our sermon series today entitled The Healing Savior, where we've been looking into the Gospel accounts of Jesus's healing, healing body, soul, and spirit. And today we'll be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Mark that takes place towards the end of Jesus' public ministry as he and his disciples approach Jerusalem for the final time before his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. And Mark describes the event this way. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus Son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, Let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is such a rich passage. And yes, it's about a miraculous healing, but it's also about salvation. When Jesus says to Bartimaeus, Your faith has made you well. He's using the Greek word sozo, which means to save. So he's basically saying your faith has saved you. And it's also a discipleship story because unlike so many others that Jesus healed, Bartimaeus responded by following him on the way. So for Bartimaeus, it's a healing story. It's a discipleship story. It's a salvation story. It's a comprehensive transformation story. But is it our story? And if it's not, why not? But before we dig into those questions, let's pray. Lord God, you alone are the Word. And you alone have the words of eternal life. We need your words, Lord. Speak. Speak to us as we are gathered here. And speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And it's in the name of our healing Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. When I was seven years old, my family moved into an amazing old house. Now, to my parents, it was probably a daunting and long-term fixer-upper. But to my older brother and my younger sister and me, it was like an adventure land. Because there were so many awesome nooks and crannies that you could hide in while we were playing hide-and-seek. There was a laundry chute that you could get into on the second floor and drop down into a kitchen cabinet. There was a musty attic where we found two decommissioned old pistols. But one of the most fascinating things about this house was the large storage room in the unfinished basement. When we moved in, the door had big masking tape letters on it that said dark room because the previous owners had been manually exposing and developing film in there. And they'd left behind jars and boxes that were leaking. And so the room had this strange, sharp chemical smell. So soon after we moved in, we turned the basement into a haunted house for our new neighborhood friends. And so we rearranged the letters on that door to read dead room, because we thought it was super spooky right? And the name stuck. And so we just always called it the dead room in the basement. And for 40 years, we used the dark and strange smelling dead room as a place where we stored our broken things, our unsightly things, the things that we didn't know what to do with or didn't want to deal with. You probably have the same sort of storage room in the basement of your soul, your own personal dead room, and it's a place where we put all the junk in our lives, the broken parts of ourselves, the toxic experiences that we don't want to deal with, and the shame and the pain that we don't want others to see. And somehow we think that stuffing that unresolved junk in our dead room and closing the doors means that those things, they won't be seen in our life. They won't mess up our life. But no matter how hard we try to hide those things from ourself or from others or even from God, the things that we put in the dead room, they don't stay there. They don't stay dead. And they continue to haunt our minds and our hearts and our relationships. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, longtime pastor Peter Scazzaro addresses this reality by asking, why hasn't a lifetime of spirituality in the church, surrounded by the truth of Jesus Christ, transformed deeply our inner lives? Why are so many of us living with deeply entrenched parts of us apparently untouched by the power and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Many of the folks that Scazzaro pastored, he noticed they've had a real encounter with Jesus, And they've started to learn about him and learn about scripture through Sunday school or small groups. And they've even started to serve, maybe in the community and maybe in the church. But then they got stuck. And like Abraham, who settled down in Haran, halfway to the promised land, many of his folks never continued their Jesus journey inward, into their own undiscovered country where they would come to know themselves and know the healing touch of Jesus, which would then allow them to move out and really serve the world and lead others in freedom and power and joy. So many of us are not experiencing the healing touch of Christ because we won't give him access to the soul junk in our dead room. We won't process with him our family dysfunction or trauma or abuse. And we profoundly deny those emotions that we think are negative, like fear and anger and shame. And we consistently avoid acknowledging the deepest wounds and our most damaging experiences. I understand this, I get this, because I lived this. I have things in my past and in my heart that I simply don't know what to do with. Regrets and fears and awful things that I've said and done, hurtful things that have been done to me, insecurities and guilt and shame. And I stuffed those things into my dead room and I closed the door for a really good reason. Because if anybody, I felt that if anybody ever saw those things, they would turn about on their heel and walk away from me forever. And over the years, I've had a hard enough time going into that room myself, much less showing the things in there to those closest to me, like my wife or my friends. So the last thing, the very last thing I would ever want to do is expose those things to my savior. And so for a long time, I just kept the door closed and pretended like that room, that room doesn't exist. And maybe that's what you do too. But when we refuse to deal with that stuff in our dead rooms, the toxic things in there, they leak out. And they show up in our daily lives as bursts of inexplicable anger. Bouts of anxiety or insecurity or depression. Defensive self-protection judging others, relational explosions, and all kinds of addictive behavior. You probably know what I'm talking about because you've seen these things in yourself. You've seen these things in your family. You've seen these things at the office or at school. And you have seen these things in the church. So here's the bottom line. Jesus cannot transform what we will not let him touch, and Jesus will not heal what we continue to conceal. And the consequences here, they're not just emotional, they're not just relational, they are profoundly spiritual because when we neglect our most intense emotions and our deepest hurts, we become less human. We become false to ourselves and we close off an open door through which we were meant to know God. The early church Father Augustine wrote, How can you draw close to God when you are so far away from your own self? Similarly, St. Teresa of Avila wrote in the fourth century, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Denying our true self and living with a false self disrupts our discipleship and stunts our growth in Christ. The Apostle Paul addressed this when he exhorted Christians to put off your old self, that false self, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And all of this brings us back to our scripture passage. So let me ask you, why do you think Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Do you really think that Jesus was asking for information that he didn't already have? Really? This is the divine Son of God, unto whom all hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hid. The Gospels repeatedly tell us that Jesus could discern the thoughts and motivations of humans. And it's not like you really need supernatural discernment to discern the answer to this question, right? I mean, is there any doubt about what Bartimaeus wants? He's a blind beggar screaming for mercy. It's obvious. So why doesn't Jesus just snap his fingers and restore his sight? Why does he ask him that question? The question's not for Jesus. It's for Bartimaeus. The question engages Bartimaeus in his own healing. It calls him to take that risky first step of looking deep within himself, of opening himself to articulate his deepest desire to Christ, and then trusting in Jesus' compassion and his power. Jesus doesn't want a drive-by healing experience for Bartimaeus, and he doesn't want one for you. Jesus doesn't want to leave you marginally more healthy marginally more able, but keep you in the dark about who you could ultimately be if you would trust who he ultimately is. That would be giving us a temporary fix to an eternal problem. No, Jesus wants more for Bartimaeus and he wants more for us. He wants transformation, deep inner healing. And so just as Jesus drew near to Bartimaeus, Jesus draws near to us. Jesus stands at the door to our dead room. And he knocks. What do you want me to do for you in there? And it takes great faith to open that door to show Jesus the deepest and darkest parts of you but we can trust Jesus with our pain and we can trust Jesus with our past. There's nothing that Jesus is going to see in our soul that he doesn't already know. And there's nothing he could possibly see that would make him wheel about and leave us forever. In fact, that's one of the reasons he told us, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. God has already proved his love for us In that while we were still sinners, and God knew everything about us, everything we had ever done, Christ died for us. You can't give a more full expression of unending commitment than that. Exercising the faith to show ourselves to Jesus as we really are, to let him into our dead room, helps us to see Jesus as he really is. Because remember, even though he was physically blind, it was Bartimaeus who was able to recognize Jesus as the messianic son of David. His faith gave him 20-20 spiritual vision and allowed him to see a spiritual reality that everybody else, all the sighted people, they missed it. The religious elite, the crowd, even the disciples. And so it can be for you. Trust Jesus with your wounds, with your brokenness, and with your infirmities, and you will begin to see him as your healing Savior, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. You may have been to hundreds of Bible studies, heard countless sermons, attended literally decades of Sunday school or small groups. You may have gone on so many mission trips and dozens of leadership conferences, and yet still, the deep inner healing and transformation that you long for eludes you. And many of us have been suffering for so long that we've actually begun to doubt that Jesus' healing touch is real or that it could be real for us. Who knows how many years Bartimaeus had been suffering in the dark. Who knows how many times he'd heard nice religious people mutter things like, I think his blindness is God's judgment for his sins. Who knows how many nights he drifted off to sleep, wondering, is God blind, too? Can he not see me? Does he not care for me? But Bartimaeus refused to give up. He refused to passively accept that this is just the way it is, and this is the way it's always going to be. He refused to believe that Jesus was impotent or apathetic or angry. That's just not who Jesus was to Bartimaeus. And that's not who Jesus is for you. It is for freedom, real freedom from your pain and real freedom from your past for which Christ has set you free. And the kingdom of God, it's not just a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. God has more for you. Drag those toxic things out of your dead room and into the light of Christ and cry out to Jesus that you want everything, everything he has for you this side of heaven. Scripture commands us to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. And there's something powerful in the act of speaking out our desires, confessing and crying out to Jesus that activates our faith. So do it. Like Bartimaeus, cry out to Jesus. Be persistent and be bold. And don't let anyone. Silence you. Cry out to him in faith. Cry out to him in private prayer. Call out to him in corporate prayer. Call out to him in counseling, in therapy, or in your Sunday school, or in your small group. Journal to him. Sing to him. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, Heal me, grow me, free me, save me. And when He calls you, He will call you. Throw off the cloak of your old self, spring up and follow Jesus on the way. Christ is powerful, Christ is compassionate. And Christ is faithful. He is the healing Savior who wants Bartimaeus' story to be your story. Amen.